Good morning, Digital Wildcatters. Welcome to, as Colin put it just a moment ago on Twitter, the dumpster fire that is BDE today. As you can tell, Colin is not with me today. Last week, in a tragic jujitsu accident, he injured his prostate and has been put on the injured reserve for a couple of weeks. So we will try to get by without, uh, without Colin today. So, first in the news... Emmanuel Macron won re-election in France. Why do we bring that up on the BDE show? Well, one, it's not because he's the only world leader shorter than Colin. We bring it up because what it means for European energy. Macron, big champion of net zero by 2050, big into offshore wind, big into renewables, and so that program will last in France. Le Pen, his opponent, had talked about reversing that course, returning more to hydrocarbons, etc. So it looks like the French will remain on the path of renewables, and we've seen what that's done to energy in Europe and vis-a-vis the geopolitical mess with Russia. Another thing I think it means that we're going to have to look out for is the French government had had EDF Electricité de France actually sell electricity at a loss so not to raise consumer prices during this whole mess. Uh, They're going to have to go restructure the company at this point. Nationalization, I think, is possibly on the table. So these are issues to, uh, to look at, aside from just wanting to go to Paris for spring break. Story number two. Gosh, it... It, it goes a lot quicker without Colin rambling. Hold, hold on just a second. Chuck, I hate the French. Blah, 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 blah. Renewables, Twitter, Elon Musk is God. Woo! Okay, we'll get to Elon Musk in just a second, Colin. All right, GW, I'm actually depending on you to throw up uh, some... At least there is audio this time around. There you go. He's running smack at you, Tanner. I did so, it. I did it. Tanner, Tanner covers it. All right. Story number two. We've talked about this a couple of times on BDE. It's worth repeating. Last four or five weeks, airline travel has been skyrocketing. Um, they're now running north of 90% of where they were in 2019 after averaging probably 80% here the last few months. Week to week, they were up 3%. And a lot of that's being driven by China. Despite all the lockdowns they're having over COVID, China air traffic was up 18%. And although airline traffic is not the biggest part of oil demand and a huge driver there, it is the one piece that's been lagging. And so we're at record oil use today. And with this steaming back, you see even more in the way of demand. So it's something we need to be watching because oil's at $100 right now. But what's interesting is you go out to December of 2025, December of 2026, oil's trading at $70, $72 a barrel. And I think a lot of that, as we've talked about on the show, is driven by the fact the airlines have not been there to be buyers of oil in the future. Historically, airlines would hedge at least a portion of their cost in out years. That's not happening. That's why you don't see a lot of trading volume 
I believe that's why the oil curves in backwardation more so than the possibility of a recession. So let's watch the airlines because to the extent the airlines get back on their footing, they can start planning. Is that what brings the curve up? I'm not saying we should, oil should be in contango, but a hundred dollar oil going to 72 in a few years out just feels like way too much backwardation. So it's something we need to be watching. Let's go to the comments. We got GW in there. Oh my God. Okay. What do you mean by that GW? If you like, you can call me and I can co-host. GW, I would have had you co-host had I known Colin was going to bail. I didn't know his prostate injury was that bad. So, uh, all righty. Next topic. I don't know how we can do a show of BDE without talking about Twitter. And even though Colin's not here, and I'm not the big Elon fanboy like Colin is, we do need to talk about it. And I'm actually going to bring something up because I got to ask this question. So Twitter's agreed to sell to Elon for $44 billion, the offer he made 11 days ago. And there's been talk about how he's going to finance that. Part of how he's financing that $44 billion is he is personally borrowing $12.5 billion via a margin loan. So I thought I might take a second to just say what a margin loan is. And this is the way that rich people that have a lot of capital appreciation in a stock wind up having spending money, but don't actually have to pay taxes. So let's say you start a company and you take your company public and you do really well. Five to 10 years later, your stock, in the case of lawns, worth a shit ton. But let's just say it's worth $3 billion. If you sell that $3 billion, you're going to have to pay capital gains tax, 20, 25%. There's state taxes on that in certain locales. So you have to pay taxes when you sell that stock. If you die and that stock gets passed on to your heirs, then they actually get to receive the step up in the basis. So they would value that stock at $3 billion for their basis and not have to pay capital gains. So if you're an entrepreneur and you own a lot of stock, you never, ever want to sell it. But how do you have money to pay for your kid's college, afford the private jet, wine and dine Victoria's Secret models? Here's how you do it. If you have publicly traded stock, there's a thing called a Reg U loan, a margin loan, where you can go to almost any investment bank on the planet and they will generally loan you up to about 50% of the amount of your stock. So in our example, you're worth $3 billion. You could go borrow a, a billion and a half from Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and it's cheap money. Think two, 3% type stuff. Now, you generally don't want to borrow the full 50% because if your stock goes down a little bit, then oops, you have to post margin, i.e. more cash to, to serve as collateral for that loan. So what Elon's doing is he's borrowing $12.5 billion via a margin loan. His stock in Tesla that he had to pledge for that is $62.5 billion. And so why are we bringing this up? One, that $12.5 billion, Elon doesn't pay any taxes on. It's truly just a loan. He's going to have to pay it back at some point. That's how the, that's how the, rich, the wealthy get around... Um, 
capital gains tax. But the second thing, and the reason I bring it up is if Twitter stock drop, I mean, if Tesla stock drops and Elon has to post margin, then he's going to have to sell Tesla stock. And that could be a downward spiral. So it's worth watching on this. This is probably why he didn't borrow the full 50% that he could on uh, his Tesla stock. He only borrowed $12.5 billion against the $62.5 billion. But we do need to watch that because if uh, Tesla stock falls, it causes that. But going forward, it appears Elon Musk will own Twitter. He'll take the company private. And at this point, it does not appear that Donald Trump will be rejoining the platform. He's still committed to his truth platform. Um, as we've said on this show, we actually think this is good for energy. I, I have had a personal worry that at some point the social media platforms, be it Facebook, be it Twitter, would say, screw hydrocarbons. You cannot discuss that on our platform and kick us all off, at least at this point. It feels like uh, under Elon will be safe. Knock on wood. All righty. Let's go to comments real quick. Um, what kind of jujitsu is Colin doing where his prostate gets injured? Uh, I will just say I don't know. But um, anyway. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Prostate jujitsu. Pro jiu All right. Now, as is our tradition periodically with BDE, we'll just float some rumors out there. I won't say any names, but <laughs> GW is out on Twitter. GW, I am depending on you. He... We're going to float some rumors. I've heard from multiple sources. Tanner, if you're watching oil and gas stocks out there, they're trading at generally low multiples. Investors have said, hey, we want dividends. We want share buybacks, i.e. we want cash out of the company. You better be very measured in your reinvestment. Don't go drill a lot of wells. Be measured on it. So that has been the mantra for the last couple of years with oil and gas stock. Acquisitions, growth for the sake of growth, totally taken off the table. Uh, persona non grata, if you will, by investors. I have actually heard from a couple of higher-ups at larger oil and gas companies, people in the M&A groups, they've said, we're about to just say fuck it. We're about to just go out and buy oil and gas properties. We're going to cut a check for it, despite the bounce up in interest rates. Interest rates are still at historical lows. We can get high-yield cheap. We're less than one times levered. We'll look back in three to five years and be really glad that we bought the properties we have access to with cash today. And so I've heard they've kind of all banded together and they're going to start making bid on properties. Whoever wins, they'll see how the stock price reacts and we'll see if we see more of this. But we've seen a very muted M&A market since COVID and even before COVID, um, really kind of through 2019 leading into it, the only deals we've seen done for the most part have been stock for stock trades. I'm predicting we look back six months from now and we see the summer of buying, lots of checks cut. So we'll watch that one. 
The, uh, the other thing I've heard rumors out there, a lot of the trading houses had big, huge hedges against natural gas positions there and had to post a lot in the way of margin calls. I'm not going to name a name because I don't know that it's true, but I've heard from multiple sources that several of the larger trading houses literally had to negotiate lines of credit. Like over the weekend, we've got to get this deal done or else we're going to collapse type stuff because of their hedges against natural gas. And so I hear that actually continues today, even though natural gas is backed off from $8 and it's now trading just under seven, that there's still pressures there. So that's what we're seeing out there. Let me go to, let me go to questions. GW has no questions for me. We're still back to the prostate and how it gets injured. You know, it's kind of interesting. So we've been on the air for 13 minutes. Colin talks 20 minutes. I talk 10. We've now, <laughs> we've now statistically uh, proved this. I hope this wasn't a dumpster fire. Um, but let's do this. Let's go to the finger of the week. you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech philosophically clear, open-minded helper. So for the finger of the week, we could have gone with John Kerry, who last week said natural gas is only going to be around for 10 years to bridge us to more renewable, carbon-friendly forms of electricity. That could have earned it, but quite frankly, we've given it to John Kerry enough. Could have just given it to Senator Warren because, quite frankly, she says something dumb shit every week about the energy business. But no, this week we went with Ari Melber, MSNBC analyst who said that, literally said that. Is that the least self-aware comment you've ever seen? Hey, Ari, us in the oil and gas business who have had facts about us distorted, accused of all sorts of horrific things by the large energy uh, by the large technology giants that have lived through this. Welcome to our fucking world, pal. You get the finger of the week. So I appreciate everyone joining in today. Um, it was a little bit of a curveball at the end, not having a uh, Colin in today. So we wound up, uh, we wound up not having a co-host in. Uh, so I'm dancing and bobbing is weaving as best as I can. But I wanted to uh, tell you tomorrow's podcast that I'm dropping is really cool. It's um, the energy policy draft. I have eight energy experts on. Stacy McDonald is my co-host on it. And what we have done is the premise we set up is each one of these people are deemed to be energy czar of the world. And they are allowed to choose an energy policy to make the world a better place. Really fascinating stuff, some great choices. 
I don't want to spoil anything, but it really is a good piece of content that I hope you'll check out. And just on a closing note, you know, it was less than two years ago, right at about two years ago, what was it? Minus $37 a barrel. Our industry went through as horrific a time as we ever had. Laid off a lot of people, yours truly included. Um, you know, record losses, really had to deal with that. And so even though oil's back at 100 and it feels like we're going to survive and times are better, I spent the last two nights at charity events in Houston, Texas. And I'm proud to say if you look back over the last two years, I don't think any of the energy folks let any of the charities doing worthwhile endeavors go under. They reached into their pockets despite suffering in their own businesses and I think that's a real tribute to Houston, Texas, and a real tribute to the energy business for being great stewards of the money they make. So with that, we're out of here. Subscribe to uh, BDE. Next week, we'll have Colin back. I don't know. My prostate still really hurts bad. Hold on. Let me check again. Ouch. Yeah, yep, yep. Still hurts really bad. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully have Colin back. Hopefully we'll have more stuff in the energy business to cover. I was sitting there going, hey, Tanner, why don't we talk about Johnny Depp and Adam Hurd for a while? I mean, did y'all see that? She really took a dump in his bed. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Appreciate you tuning in.